Good morning. All right. We're going to sing and pray. Here we go. And you know the song.
with me in this moment. One life, perfect life, God's life, Spirit's life. And as we allow the vibration of the Most High to the music and the words, the thoughts, and the vibration of consciousness that is present here and now, I know that we are lifted, changed, altered, and informed in ways we cannot even imagine. So I stand in that unconditional love with you. I stand in the vibration of the ecstasy of unbounded happiness. And I stand knowing full well that whatever is important for you or I to know in this moment, it is made clear, infinitely clear. And so I give thanks. I give thanks for spirit. I give thanks for life. I give thanks for being able to look out upon this world and understand that all of it, all of it is in support of our individual and collective awakening. And for this, I give thanks for all the teachers whose shoulders we stand upon, for all of our children and generations that have allowed us the freedom to be here to express life as we do. It is our legacy and our accountability to those generations that we stand in the light and the truth together ever more brilliantly each and every day. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brian. Beautiful music. Thank you, Anthony. He's got another, I don't know what he's singing next, but the last service was just incredible. Perfect fit for what I want to share with you today. So I mentioned last week, if you were here, I talked a bit about our trip uh, back east, went to New York City. New York City, we had paste picante sauce while we were there, by the way. Anyway, um, just that commercial has never left me. <laughs> I did not see a can of paste picante sauce in New York City. But anyway, uh, when we were there... <clears throat> um, we had some wonderful experience, some wonderful teachers. We went to the Omega Institute, which was founded by Ramdas and uh, Elizabeth Lesser. And one of the presenters there uh, was a woman by the name of Joyce Hawks. And Joyce has written a book called Cell Level Healing. And so I wanted to use a bit of her research to launch into the conversation we're going to have today, because it is a conversation. You're informing me as, as I'm, I'm sharing. And it's always quite fascinating for me to, and an honor to be part of that conversation. Joyce is a, a, an accomplished academic and has studied, she f said she fell in love with cells, the human cell, early in her, um, in her academic career. She has her doctorate from Penn State University and she also um, uh, studied in Seattle and did a, a, a number of postgraduate uh, degrees and she's been honored. In 1971, she graduated from Penn State, moved to Oregon, a postdoctoral position with the National Institute of Health primate research center she got there and she said that she told her boss she said I'm not touching a monkey 
So what do we do? So she made it work, but she never t- she didn't want to touch the monkeys because for whatever reason. Anyway, um, but she said that she her work. She's also uh, honored with the U.S. Department of Commerce National Achievement Award. Other highlights of her career: she's elected to the position of fellow in the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences, an ongoing position. So she's very well. She's very learned. She's very accomplished in her her um, her area of expertise in terms of intellect. And so. Joyce was home cleaning one day, doing some house cleaning, and she bent over the, the hearth to clean the hearth, and she had a, a very heavy uh, leaded glass that sat on her, on her mantle above the hearth. And as she bent over to do uh, the cleaning, um, the, the, the piece above her came loose, and as it fell off just as the time she bent over, and it knocked her unconscious for a couple of hours, and she had a near-death experience. She was bleeding and... and uh, she saw some things. She saw relatives when she went through that fourth dimension, and then she, um, she came back. She, saw, she describes a bit of it in the book. But what happened for her in that experience was that it opened her up to a different idea. So, um, and she came back. She noticed that she had a, a, a different feeling in her hands, that her hands seemed to be warmer when she would do things. And she, she would ask for guidance about this. What do I do with this experience, and, and what's sort of coming alive for me? And that inspired her to start studying with some of the shamanic traditions on the planet, some of the indigenous people. So she went to the Philippines, and she went to um, uh, Indonesia, uh, she went to Bali, and I believe she also went to India. But she did, and she, she, she layered this in with the research she'd been doing scientifically. And what she, she came back and she compiled in a book called Cell Level Healing. We don't have these books in the bookstore, but they are available out in the the general population. I think we have a few ordered. They're not in yet, so if you want to wait a week or two, we'll have them soon. But it's a wonderful book because there's a series of, of, of spiritual practices in this. But what Joyce said is that, that, that appreciation in all of this work, it, and one of the reasons that I love kind of t- tying it together with what we do is because it's exactly what we do. Uh, appreciation is the first step in this work. There's a bridge between ordinary reality and spiritual reality. Ordinary consciousness and spiritual consciousness. And the reason that we do spiritual work where we have spiritual practice is because it's very easy to fall asleep in ordinary consciousness. And that's why the practice is so important. Meditation, affirmative prayer, staying awake to our life, seeing what's going on, seeing what's alive. So gratitude, there's a pathway that we can follow. Gratitude leads leads to devotion. So none of us want to do anything out of obligation. Would anybody else like more responsibility placed upon them? That you have to do... Oh, there, one, Jason. Two, Lisa back there, too. Okay, well, you two will talk to later because you're unique and special. <laughs> Gratitude leads to devotion resulting in compassion that flows naturally from the heart as profound healing. So there's pathways. Spirit. We talk about spirit. We teach spirituality and consciousness. What is spirit? What do you guys think spirit is? What does spirituality mean? What does it mean? Anybody know? Okay. I guess you're waiting for me to tell you, huh? You can guess. Spirit is the potential that lies within each one of us. And our soul is not in our body. We are in our soul. It's a subtle difference, but it's very important to know. Uh, Dr. Thomas Troward, who influenced Ernest Holmes, used to say that our soul hovers. Our soul hovers. And when we consciously invite it in, Deepak Chopra will say that spirit's everywhere in general and nowhere in particular. 
everywhere present. But when we invite it in, when we, we use um, directed faith to say, my soul is, 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 is fully orbed within my being, that I'm living from that, many times that's described in life as a peak experience. Athletes talk about it many times. Runners will talk about that they, they hit their, their peak. You know, they hit that place, that space, because there's a spaciousness. The body, the body in the egoic nature uh, tires out enough so that space is open. In the Hindu tradition, in the Vedantic tradition, that we know when we're connected, when we're in that peak experience, when we're in that space, there's three things that happen. One is that there's a tremendous amount of love, unconditional love. For self, for others, for no particular reason. I was listening on the way over. I was listening to Carla Anderson's uh, CD from our um, Spirit in the Park, United We Jam. And Carla has written a song called Let's Terrorize Them with Tenderness. I love that song. Yeah, we, we, can be t- we can be terrorists of tenderness, you know? Well, we'll just keep hating you. Well, you go right ahead because we're going to terrorize you with tenderness. You go right ahead and knock yourself out. But it changes the relationship. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, to stand in that. Um, and so, so love is one of the components. You'll feel it. The other one is happiness, this ecstatic sense of happiness. And then the third one is that you realize in those moments of, of connection, in those peak experiences, that what you need to know is made clear. Tommy Waite, uh, um, the, the guitar player and, and composer and songwriter, I don't know if you know who Tom Waite is, but Tom Waite said that talking about, we talked about genius a bit last week and what genius is, because genius is not something that we be, it's, it's something that we invite into our experience. So genius, the Romans dis- uh, defined the word term genius, but they didn't th- think it belonged to the individual. They believed it lived in the walls of the uh, studio or the, the house where the person was creating. And so what we become is not we, not, we don't be genius, but we host genius, we welcome it which is really great because it's available to all, which is what Ernest Holmes said. There's one mind available to all. So when we, we shift our vibrational tone, we, when we shift our radio frequency from 98.6 to 107.3, we open up to a whole different... We can hear other different channels. That's what spiritual practice does. It lifts us up. So the love, the happiness, and knowing what we need to know when we need to know. So Tommy Waite was talking... You know, Artists know this. Anthony knows this. Songwriters know this. Um, had a, spent a whole week experiencing that at the Omega Institute in a course on writing. And it was really about putting us into that, that, that expanded state of welcome and, and creativity and writing from that, which is a whole different frequency. But Tommy Waite was coming home one time, and he's on the, the L.A. freeway, and he's driving along. And all of a sudden, this beautiful song starts to appear for him. And he, what he did, finally he realized, because this had not been the first time, because if you don't grab it, the poet Ruth Brown talks about this, that as a young girl, she would feel the trembling, and she would feel the earth shake beneath her. And she knew that whenever that happened, she had to run like hell, because if she didn't get it written down with a pencil and paper, it would go to the next poet down the line. It's the way the genius works. It's available to all, and I've got to write this thing down now, or it's gone. So Tommy Waite, knowing this, finally said, Look, can you not see that I'm busy here? That I'm driving in rush hour traffic, so can you come back later? Why not? I mean, we think this stuff shows up, but sometimes we're busy. So knock it off. I'm in a conversation right now. Check, check in with me in a half an hour. I like that. You know, we're not victims to this thing. If inspiration shows up and we're not ready to gather it, hey, come back in a little bit. I'll get a pencil and paper. I'll be right with you. Then we don't have to run like hell, if you know what I mean. So love, happiness, and knowing are, the, are three of the components. And what those states do, they can measure them scientifically. 
Joyce Hawks can, can measure that stuff for us scientifically. It, it releases dopamine and all of the, the, the other things that make us um, cra- crazy about being alive and ecstatic about being alive. And they measure that now. They can measure all of it. One of the things I love that Joyce has to say in this book, Joyce Hawks, once again, Cellular Healing, that I think is just so important, and I say it over and over all the time to people, when I meet them, because people will always tell me about, you know, their, their modality. I got you know, you, you need to do this, and, and it's a great modality. And they're doing it, but I may not need to do it. I may have a different modality in my life that provides me the same experience. You never know. See, we've got to let one another have our own experiences, but I think we need to keep the discussion alive and offer. And if it's someone grabs it and runs with it, fantastic. She said that when I started working with, with uh, that's not it. Mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you off the top of my head then. I'm pretty sure I have it here. I'll have to tell you. What she talks about is there's many, um, um, several people wanted to look at the book at Between Services, so obviously someone marked a new page for me, and I won't read that to you because I don't know what it says. But what she said was that, that um, there are many, many traditions, there are many modalities, there's many, there's many uh, touchstones, there's amulets, there's magic words, things like that. She said at the end of the day, and she says, God knows I've tried them all. At the end of the day, what the most important piece of it is, is to come back to source, is union, just coming back to source. Now, this is a woman who's a scientist, has gone all over the world, has worked with some of the people. She was one of the people that measured uh, people in the Philippines that do a lot of the faith healing. And she was able to, to debunk a lot of it. She said a lot of it is just fake. But some of them are really amazing healers. And, but, she, but she says that what, it, what all of it is over the, across the spectrum of all these different modalities is coming back to source. Ernest Holmes talked about it. And all the great teachers did. It's what the avatar Jesus prayed from. Our Father who art in heaven. Heaven is a state of consciousness. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy presence, thy nature. A name is nature. Holy is thy nature. So his prayer of, of union started there. That's why he, he shared that prayer. So it's really about coming back and coming back and coming back. So why are we here as a community? There, our opportunity, our call is Enlightenment. Our call is enlightenment to continue to wake up and do our practice, whatever our practices are, that move us into that direction, to have the discernment and to be able to filter and to, to be able to decide what is, what is moving me in the direction that, uh, that I'm called and what is not. Nothing short of an, uh, uh, enlightenment. And the spiritual practice, one of the key components that, that is a common theme with all of the teachers that I know and love and respect, Eckhart Tolle, we did his streaming um, webcast here the other night last a week ago Friday talking about the same thing um, Deepak Chopra talking about the same thing the gap between observer and observe what is observed and us as the observer and it is in that gap it is in that space where we are in that sweet spot of spirit and so it's expanding those opportunities and there's ways to do that it's called spiritual practice you'll find it in meditation when we sing a song we're breathing in a different way we're listening there's a vibration. And what it does is it creates spaciousness. And if we really get captured by that song, by that present creation, then there's no way for us to go into the worry. There's no way to futurize or pasteurize. We're just present. And it seems so, it seems so simple. Because it is simple. It's really simple. It's just not easy. 
Hadn't been easy for me anyway. So, it's easy to look at the world and the conditions of the world right now. And it's easy to cherry pick it, it, what, what we're predisposed to look at. Um, if our tendency is to look at it in terms of negativity, it's easy to pick things out that reinforce why we should be negative. But if our propensity is to do our spiritual practice and to look in the world and realize this is the nature of change, this is what it looks like. And that one of the beautiful things that we have is, is we have history. And we have recorded history. So one of the great things about Rumi, this poetry, everybody wrote it down. You know, nobody wrote anything down that Jesus said until it was years and years and years later. I think the essence of what he had to say is with us. It's beautiful. But no one wrote it down. So in 1963, I believe it was early 63, John Kennedy went to Rice Stadium in Houston, Texas. And he did a, he did a speech. And it was an amazing speech because it changed the world. And I want to share pieces of it with you because we're here to change the world. We are here to, to change the world and nothing less than that. And it's really simple. We change our consciousness. See, I'm a work in progress. And I know that. And there's more for me to know and there's no, more for me to understand. There's more, for me, there's more work. I have an opportunity to do more things on the planet but I can't do those things now Einstein said the reason we have time is so that everything doesn't happen at once I like that because there's times when I feel like everything is happening at once so Kennedy said this and I'm not going to read you the whole speech it's wonderful and it's, it's, it's powerful he said despite the striking fact that most of the scientists that the world has ever known are alive and working today now this is 1963 I think the, th- the same thing is true it's not that much further down the line Despite the fact that this nation's own, and, 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 you know, I am a dual citizen. I have Canadian citizenship. I have U.S. citizenship. I was born in the U.S. I love this country. I love the culture. I love the people. I'm proud to be a dual citizen, but we are, we are first cousins. We're joined at the hip. And so I think what he's having to say affects and filters into our culture, but it's also beyond nation. It's about inspiration. It's about vision and, and, and the vision that he's imparting here. Today, despite the fact this nation's own scientific manpower is doubling every 12 years, is a rate of growth more than three times that of our population as a whole. Despite that, the vast stretches of the unknown and the unanswered and the unfinished still far outstrip our collective comprehension. So there's so much more to know. So much more to know. So much more to do. That's what he's talking about. No man, no person can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of, of humanity's recorded history in a time span of about a half century. So he's, he's cutting it down to give us a perspective on what it looks like. If we, if we shrink 50,000 years into recorded history, a half century, stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced man had learned to use the skins of animals to cover themselves. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during the whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, the electric lights, telephone, and automobile, and airplane became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin, television, and nuclear power. And now, if America's new spacecraft succeeds in reaching Venus, we will have literally reached the stars before midnight tonight. He's condensing timelines. 
but to give us a perspective of where we were, where we've come from. This is a breathtaking pace, and such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old, which is part of it, isn't it? It creates new problems, new challenges. New ignorance, new problems, new dangers. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high cost and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country, the United States, was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. William Bradford, speaking in 1630 of the founding of the Plymouth Bay Colony, said that all great and honorable actions are accompanied with great difficulties, and both must be enterprised and overcome with answerable courage. This speaks directly to what we're doing in terms of giving birth to consciousness. Your consciousness is precious and wonderful and powerful. Joyce Hawks writes about it in her book here. One of the few things I highlighted, he said, Our body, our physical being, can be experienced as a sacred temple of the spirit and an expression of consciousness. This knowledge is the first step towards a life of fullness and oneness of spirit and physical existence, a seamless connection from soul to cell. See, our bodies are, are, are these beautiful things, these works of art. And, they ha- and, and, and the, the soul is all around us, the collective soul. And to, to live and tap into that. And, 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 and Joyce talks about our spiritual practice. One of the things the indigenous people do is they don't pray to an exterior, exterior God. I was raised with a God up in heaven. And it's true, God is everywhere present. But what they do in their work and their prayer work is they go as deep as they possibly can. They go in and in and in and deep and deep and deep. And they listen. What's going on here? Why does that person still hook me? What's alive for me there? Kennedy said, we set sail on this new sea because there's new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won and they must be won and used for the progress of all people. I watched the, what happened in Tripoli. I'm watching, we saw a bit of it this morning in, in Tripoli. And what's going to happen? Because now there's all these freedoms. What are the structures? What are the things that are going to guide and lead and support these people? What do we do with that? Joyce has an idea I'll share with you later. But this is what's going on. This is real in the world. Kennedy, I'll finish with this. We choose to go to the moon. It's a choice. He could have said, nah, let's just cure something else. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and, and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because the challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are, willing to, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and the others too. Well, I read Timothy Ferris's excerpts from his book. He said one of the things that all of us must have in our lives is an unrealistic and, un, and, and um, unrealistic goal, something that is so big it challenges us and it stretches us. Why not enlightenment? Why not live from that? Why not live from that presence as much as possible and give birth to the new ideas that are seeking expression? Why be the why not? Why don't we be the poets that are there to write down what's coming through? as the genius shows up and flows through our lives. Instead of the ones that say, ah, oh, no, I gotta rest a while. I'm tired out. I'm tuckered. We choose to go to the moon. There was none of the technology developed to go to the moon when Kennedy said this, none. 
The only reason that, that we, we think it's impossible to have... Education is so important. There's a wonderful guy on TV this morning that Laura and I were watching, and he said, the old model for school, one of the reasons that, that China and, and India and, and some of these countries are excelling in education is the old model for school that we have in this country, in the West, and he was talking about the U.S., but it's, it's, is that, that we used to let the students out in the summertime. The only reason we let the students out in the summertime is because it was agriculture. It was time to harvest. It was work to plant the seeds and get the farm ready. We don't do that anymore. It's not our culture anymore. So these kids are spending weeks longer and hours longer studying and developing the thinking and the expertise and the know-how to move their ideas and their consciousness forward. It's not a bad thing. It's just time to re-look at it. Education is the key. Education. Knowledge. The infinite currency is ideas. It's how it shows up. We choose. What do we choose? Individually and collectively. And so that's why your consciousness is so precious. That's why our consciousness is so precious. Joyce, Joyce talks about it here. She said, there are hundreds of activities. That was the one I was going to read to you earlier, but I already explained it. But we look out in the world, many world issues are so large that they feel powerless. What can I do? But we can trust that positive thoughts and light energy will help counterbalance the negativity surrounding us. Our cells go into stress mode when we are worried, which is damaging to health over the long term. Our internal chemistry changes. We went to a presentation this year when my, our son Max is in medical school at the U of A. And the guy that got up, Dr. Ketrick, I'll never forget. He said, it's, we don't teach health and wellness. We, we teach sickness and disease. We let people get sick and then we treat them. You see, if we understand these principles, there's no reason why we can't live vibrant, wonderful lives. This is a healing teaching. It doesn't say get sick and die. It says there's a new idea waiting to be given birth in your consciousness that will help you move forward through this wonderful opportunity that has shown up in your life as whatever it is. There's just something that's a shift and change. Joyce talks about it. She says that, that one, all cells don't get, get ill at one time. It starts with one cell. And in her work, she's working with ALS patients. She goes in and she visualizes. As practitioners, we always affirm perfect health because we are perfect. She takes it one step deeper. She, she, looks at the, she knows what the structure of that ALS nerve looks like. That's the deterioration of the nerve around the sheath around the nerve. And, and in, in her work, in her visualization, in her prayer, in her meditation, she sees that being regrown to vibrancy. She's doing the same thing we do. She's just very, very specific. And she's having amazing success. But she's teaching this now to scientists. So many world issues are so large we feel powerless, but we can trust the positive thoughts and light energy that will help counterbalance the negativity surrounding us. Our cells go into stress mode when they're worried, which is damaging to health over the long term. Our internal chemistry changes, flooding the cells in the entire body with biochemicals that prepare us to fight or run from potential danger. Repeated events of the stress response eventually exhaust the body and damage our health. Rather than spending energy on what-ifs and oh my goodness, concentrate on sending love, positive energy for healing, resolution, and peace. Specific directives such as spouse, call me from the free or teen, if you don't do your homework, you will flunk, are not recommended. These kinds of verbal communication belong in the practical world of direct, kinder, and actual effective speech. Our cells go into stress mode when we are worried, which is damaging to health over the long term. We know that. 
We know that. So why do we do it? So what is the practice? So why do we get pulled back into the worry? Anybody here? When I was in Omega, when I was at Omega and we were doing this writing workshop, the stories that people would write about when they were a child and they had created something. I'll never forget this. Mine was finger painting. I finger painted something. And the teacher just laughed when she saw it. Because I just wanted, I just loved the feel of paint. I just wanted to go crazy. So I didn't make anything. And she said, what's that? I said, that's a coiled hose for the garden. I'd done a coiled hose. And she just laughed. And I thought, because other people had done houses and dogs. I just went like this for the paint for like 15 minutes. I was having a great time. Has anyone here had an experience when they were, let's say, when you were younger. And, some, and, and someone ha- something happened. Teacher, parent, brother, sister. Uh, conveyed a message to you that you could not create. Anybody here? Florence, why don't you come on up? Will you come on up? Come on up. Fine. Don't want to share this with you because this is for everybody. But this is the way we can, this is the way we can use these experiences and, and, and transform the experience. So would you, well, thank you for coming up. Well, I do have a memory. Do you? Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Okay, and I want you to think about that experience. You see it? You see it happening? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is step back a little bit because there's other people going to join us up here. Oh, good. We need room for them. Even though they're imaginary, I want to give them room. Okay. So now I want you to see... Oh, and how old were you? Oh, eight. You were eight. Okay. So eight-year-old Florence, I want you to, in your mind's eye, close your eyes, right here on your left, mm-hmm. eight-year-old Florence. Mm-hmm. Okay. You see her? Mm-hmm. All right. And now, on, on, on our right... Is Florence, the adult, pristine, healthy, balanced, wise, wonderful Florence. With no baggage, no stories, just you fully orbed in that, that vibration of love, of happiness, and just infinite wisdom. Love, happiness, and wisdom. Do you see her? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now what I want you to do is I want you to look at little, in your mind's eyes, so close your eyes, mm-hmm. okay? I want you to imagine little Florence in the experience of being told... You're less than, whatever it is. You don't have to share the story. But she's in the emotion of that. And I want healthy Florence to show up and grab her hands very gently and look her in the eye Mm -hmm. and say, I love you. I love you. All right. You did a great job. (laughs) Well, and you know what? You weren't there for her at that time. You couldn't be Mm -hmm. when you're eight years old. Mm -hmm. But now you can be. And you can go back in your mind's eye And you can parent that child now and say, you know, that was somebody's opinion. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we don't know. We just want to bring love to this and let you know what a precious expression of the infinite you are. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you? Are you connecting with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this idea that you're not enough, you're not creative enough, you're not valuable, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. you got that information, but it's no longer alive in your experience. Are you good with that? Right, I have the power to protect that little one. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, really, and there's nothing to protect because you're both always safe. Mm-hmm. The world is a safe place. Awesome. So let's know this together. There's one life, God's life, perfect life, in and through and as, the I am of Florence. This beautiful eight-year-old Florence, fully beautiful and precious, still alive, still vibrant, and this beautiful, fully orbed, wise, wonderful, standing in love, standing in happiness, Florence. And so the two of them meld together in a hug and embrace. I know that everything right and perfect for Florence from this point forward 
that amplifies this awareness, this experience of unconditional love, of happiness, of joy, an unbounded and deep wisdom in every situation continues to grow and nurture itself in every way possible. So I know the cells within Florence that help support and transform this consciousness are already activated and moving forward in wonderful, powerful ways. Anywhere the energy, the creative flow of life in and through and as Florence is blocked or restricted in any way, shape, or form, it is eradicated and dissipated. A full flow of life, vibrant health, vibrant thinking, clear, poised, powerful, and beautiful. And so I give thanks for this this day. I give thanks for this moment. I give thanks for the person that shared this story, that helped shape this story of this hero, Florence. I know all of it is right, all of it is good, all of it is for God, all of it is for Florence and for all of us. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Thanks, Florence. All right. So, there's a tool that all of us can use wherever we are, wherever we're stuck, wherever that energy is stuck. There's a tool available to all of us to open up. It's not about grinding it out getting, and, 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 cl- and, and clamping down. As Joyce says, when we do that, we, we set ourselves up for, for um, our, it, we destroy ourselves. So if, you've, that, if that's part of your spiritual practice, you can find a different way to do that. And I wanted to share this with you because that's a practice that really helped me early on in my own growth, in my own evolution, to restart to reparent myself. See, the beauty is with the creativity is we can't go back, we, we can't relive that, that experience. We can't change that experience, but we can rewrite it. We can reframe it. We can step up as we are now or choose to be and grow that consciousness. I'll leave you with this. This is from Mark Nepo, his book of the year we call the Book of Awakening, which we were using in 2011. And uh, there's a wonderful, on November 6th, which is today, he says, when we squint. So when you go home, I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read a bit of it. When we squint. And the quote at the beginning is, when we squint, we think we see like a tiger, while the truth, like the sun, spills everywhere but through our slits. We have all heard the gritty advice that when things get tough, we need to dig in. This often translates to an aggressive alert state. We hone our focus and thinking, readying ourselves for anything. Unfortunately, when we steel ourselves for battle, our focus narrows and we can cut out as much of what we need as what we fear. I'm not suggesting that we stumble through life without thought or focus. Rather, I'm offering a deeper sense of what it means to be alert. There's a telling difference between the sharp line of a laser ray and the wash of sunlight over a field, between the sharpness of a mind in crisis and the wash and warmth of an open heart. When we, when we need it most, it is nearly impossible to see ourselves with compassion from the slit of a narrow mind, all tensed for battle. I'll skip to the last paragraph. This has taught me that attention to detail can be mistaken for acts of caring. The truth is that being alert often requires us to widen our focus and to see with what the Sufis call the heart's eye. For though no... For though surprise and crisis can make us squint like a tiger and show our claws, it is the effort to enlarge and stay open that helps us the most. It helps us and it helps everyone. It nurtures our body that as above, so below, as within, so without. And it's a challenge. It's simple, simple, but it's not easy. As Joyce said in the article, when we look out in the world, we look out in our lives and there's reasons to judge it and there's reasons to discount it. 
But to be able to have the consciousness and the awareness, the gap between the observer and the observed, and to be able to offer unconditional love, positive energy, to be grounded in that. When we do that, we're helping everyone. We're helping ourselves. We're helping everyone. We're modeling for our children and the generations to come the possibilities. We're opening things up. One of the theories we saw this morning when Laura and I were talking, an article on uh, the uh, 7 billion people now, it might be to our great advantage because of the way we communicate and because of the innovations that are available. There, there were some scientists who were trying to figure out the molecules to help cure three kinds of cancer. So what they did, rather than hoard the information and do the individual research, they decided they would use what they call open source. So they, they just put it out to the world through the internet and said, we're, looking, we're working on this, we're looking for solutions. Every lab went to work on it, including, including the pharmaceuticals. This is a new idea. And the, the solutions were found in, in, a, in a record amount of time because they tap into the collective genius. I mean, this is the world we're moving into. To share our light, to share our truth, that when the genius comes through, is to tap into it and share it. That's why we're here, to nurture this for ourselves. Spiritual practice that grounds us in a moment so we can live in the love and we can live in the, the happiness and we can live in the genius that, wants to, that we can host. It's a powerful, wonderful thing. We're changing the world. You're changing the world by your consciousness. What you take out into this community, your awareness and your light, it's powerful, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's a gift to all. So it is.